Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we are going to look at chapters 33 to 34 and in the previous episode we read chapters 31 to 32 in which we looked at Nico's perspective if I do believe so and Nico, Reyna, and Coach Hedge were fighting against this one demigod named Bryce and Nico had decided to use his powers in order to overcome Bryce and defeat him. And this had left, or supposedly made Nico think that Reyna would be shocked and potentially disgusted by Nico's abilities and his lack of mercy for his opponents. But in reality, he was proven wrong. For he had found some new friends, people that cared about him, people that made him feel that he was worth something in this world. Which he always was, but I think that the fact that he was able to make friends with Reyna and Coach Hedge made that bond and that feeling even stronger. So now we will switch over to read from Leo's perspective to see how exactly the rest of the gang is going as they sail to fight against Gaia. So chapter 33, Leo. Typical. Just as Leo finished his modifications, a big storm goddess came along and smacked the grommets out of right out of his ship. After their encounter with Chemopup, what's her name? The Ark of the Second limped through the Aegean too. Damaged to fly, too slow to outrun monsters. They fought hungry sea serpents about every hour. They attracted schools of curious fish. At one point, they got stuck on a rock, and Percy and Jackson had Percy and Jason had to get out and push. The wheezing sound of the engine made Leo want to cry. Over the course of three long days, he finally got the ship more or less back to working order just as they made port at the island of Mykonos, which probably meant it was time for them to get bashed to pieces again. Percy and Annabeth went ashore to scout while Leo stayed on the quarterback deck, fine-tuning the control console. He was so engrossed in the wiring, he didn't notice the landing party was back until Percy said, Hey man, gelato! Instantly, Leo's day got better. The old day, the whole crew sat on deck without a storm or a monster attack to worry about for the first time in days and ate ice cream. Well, except for Frank, who was lactose intolerant. He got an apple. The day was hot and windy. The sea glitter would chop, but Leo had fixed the stabilizers well enough that Hazel didn't look too seasick. Curving off to their starboard side was the town of Mykonos, a collection of white stucco buildings with blue roofs, blue windows, and blue doors. We saw these pelicans walking around town, Percy reported, like just going through the shops, stopping at the bars. Hazel frowned. Monsters in disguise? No, Annabeth said, laughing. Just regular old pel- pelicans. They're the town mascots or something, and there's a little Italy section of town. That's why the gelato is so good. Europe is messed up. Leo shook his head. First, we go to Rome for Spanish steps, then we go to Greece for Italian ice cream. But he couldn't argue with the gelato. He ate his double chocolate delight and tried to imagine that he and his friends were just chilling on a vacation, which made him wish Calypso was with him, which made him wish the war was over and everyone was alive, which made him sad. It was July 30th, less than 48 hours until G-Day, when Gaia, the princess of potty sludge, would awaken in all her dirt-faced glory. The strange thing was, the closer they got to August 1st, the more upbeat his friends acted. 
maybe upbeat wasn't the right word. They seemed to be pulling together for the final lap, aware that the next two days would make or break them. There was no point in moping around when you faced imminent death. The end of the world made gelato taste a lot better. Of course, the rest of the crew hadn't been down in the stables with Leo, talking with the victory goddess Nike over the past three days. Piper sent her to set down her ice cream cup. So the island of Delos is right across the harbor. Artemis and Apollo's home turf. Who's going? Me? Leo said immediately. Everybody stared at him. What? Leo demanded. I'm diplomatic and stuff. Frank and Hazel volunteered to back me up. We did? Frank lowered his half-eaten apple. I mean, sure we did. Hazel's gold eyes flashed in the sunlight. Leo, did you have a dream about this or something? Yes, Leo blurted. Well, no, not exactly. But you gotta trust me on this, guys. I need to talk to Apollo and Artemis. I've got an idea I need to bounce off them. Annabeth frowned. She looked like she might object, but Jason spoke up. If Leo has an idea, he said, we need to trust him. Leo felt guilty about that, especially considering what his idea was. But he mustered a smile. Thanks, man. Percy shrugged. Okay, but a word of advice. When you see Apollo, don't mention Haiku. Hazel knit her eyebrows. Why not? Isn't he the god of poetry? Just trust me. Got it. Leo rose to his feet. And guys, if they have a souvenir shop on Delos, I'm totally bringing you back some Apollo and Artemis bobbleheads. Apollo didn't seem to be in the mood for Haiku. He wasn't selling bobbleheads either. Frank had turned into a giant eagle to fly to Delos, but Leo hitched a ride with Hazel on Arian's back. No friends to Frank, but after the fiasco at Fort Sumter, Leo had become a Constantius objector to riding giant eagles. He had a 100% failure rate. They found the island deserted, maybe because the seas were too choppy for the tourist boats. The windswept hills were barren except for rocks, grass, and wildflowers. And, of course, a bunch of crumbling temples. The rubble was probably very impressive, but ever since Olympia, Leo had been on ancient ruins overload. He was so done with the white marbles columns, he wanted to get back to the U.S. where the oldest buildings were the public schools and yay old McDonald's. They walked down an avenue lined with wide stone lines, the faces weathered almost featureless. It's... eerie, Hazel said. You sense any ghosts? Frank asked. She shook her head. The lack of ghosts is eerie. Back in ancient times, Delos was sacred ground. No mortal was allowed to be here or die here. There are literally no mortal spirits on this whole island. Go with me, Leo said. Does that mean nobody's allowed to kill us here? I didn't say that. Hazel stopped at the summit of a low hill. Look, down there. Below them, the hillside had been carved into an amphitheater. Scrubby plants sprouted between the rows of stone benches, so it looked like a concert for thorn bushes. Down at the bottom, sitting on a block of stone in the middle of the stage, the god Apollo hunched over a ukulele, plucking out a mournful tune. At least Leo assumed it was Apollo. The dude looked about 17 with curly blonde hair and a perfect tan. He wore tattered jeans, a black t-shirt, and a white linen jacket with glittering rhinestone labels. Like he was trying for an Elvis Ramones Beach Boys hybrid look. Leo didn't usually think of the ukulele as a sad instrument. Pathetic, sure, but not sad. Yet the tune Apollo strummed was so melancholy... It broke Leo's feels. Sitting in the front row was a young girl of about 13, wearing black leggings and a silver tunic. 
Her dark hair pulled back in a ponytail. She was whittling on a long piece of wood, making a bow. Those are the gods? Frank asked. They don't look like twins. Well, think about it, Hazel said. If you're a god, you can look like whatever you want. If you had a twin... I'd choose to look anything but my sibling, Frank agreed. So what's the plan? Don't shoot! Yelled, yellow, yelled Leo. It seemed like a good opening line, facing two archery gods. He raised his arms and headed down to the stage. Neither god looked surprised to see them. Apollo sighed and went back to playing his ukulele. When they got to the front row, Artemis muttered, There you are. We were beginning to wonder. That took the pressure out of Leo's pistons. He'd been ready to introduce himself, explain how they'd come in peace, maybe tell a few jokes, and offer breath mints. So you were expecting us then, Leo said. Well, I can tell, because you were both so excited. Apollo plucked a tune that sounded like the funeral version of Camptown Races. We were expecting to be found, bothered, and tormented. We didn't know by whom. Can you not leave us to our misery? You know they can't, brother, Artemis chided. They require our help with their quest, even if the odds are hopeless. You two are full of good cheer, Leo said. Why are you hiding out here anyway? Shouldn't you be, I don't know, fighting giants or something? Artemis's pale eyes made Leo feel like he was a deer carcass about to be gutted. Delos is our birthplace, said the goddess. Here, we are unaffected by the Greek-Roman schism. Believe me, Leo Valdis, if I could, I would be with my hunters, facing our old enemy Orion. Unfortunately, if I stepped off this island, I would be incapacitated with pain. All I can do is watch helplessly while Orion slaughters my followers. Many gave their lives to protect your friends, and that cursed Athena statue. Hazel made a strangled sound. You mean Nico? Is he all right? All right! Apollo sobbed over his ukulele. None of us are all right, girl! Gaia is rising! Artemis glared at Apollo. Hazel Levesque, your brother is still alive. He's a brave fighter, like you. I wish I could say the same for my brother. You wrong me! Apollo wailed. I was misled by Gaia and that horrible Roman child. Frank cleared his throat. <clears throat> uh, Lord Apollo, do you mean Octavian? Do not speak his name. Apollo strummed a minor chord. Oh, Frank Zhang, if only you were my child. I heard your prayers, you know, all those weeks you wanted to be claimed. But alas, Mars gets all the good ones. I get that creature as my descendant. He filled my head with compliments. He told me one of the, of the he told me of the greatest temples you would build in my honor. Artemis snorted. <laughs> you are easily flattered, brother. Because I have so many amazing qualities to praise. Octavian said he would wa he wanted to make the Romans strong again. I said fine. I gave him my blessing. As I recall, said Artemis, he also promised to make you the most important god of the legion, above even Zeus. Well, who was I to argue with an offer you offer like that? Does Zeus have a perfect tan? Can he play the ukulele? I think not. But I never thought Octavian would start a war. Gaia must have been clouding my thoughts, whispering in my ear. Leah remembered the crazy wind dude, Aeolus, who had gone homicidal after hearing Gaia's voice. So fix it, he said. Tell Octavia to stand down, or you know, shoot him with one of the one of your arrows. That would be fine too. I cannot Apollo wailed. Look! 
His ukulele turned into a bow. He aimed at the sky and shot. The golden arrow sailed about 200 feet, then disintegrated into smoke. To shoot my bow, I would have to step off Delos, Paul cried. Then I would have to be incapacitated, or Zeus would strike me down. Father never liked me. He hasn't trusted me for millennia. Well, Artemis said. To be fair, there was that time you conspired with Hera to overthrow him. That was a misunderstanding! And you killed some of Zeus's Cyclops. I had a good reason for that. At any rate, now Zeus blames me for everything. Octavian's schemes, the fall of Delphi. Wait. Hazel made a timeout sign. The fall of Delphi? Apollo's bow turned back into a ukulele. He plucked a dramatic chord. When the schism began between Greek and Roman, while I struggled with confusion, Gaia took advantage. She raised my old enemy, Python, the great serpent, to repossess the Delphic Oracle. That horrible creature is now coiled in the ancient caverns, blocking the magic of prophecy. I'm stuck here, so I can't even fight him. Bummer, Leah said. Secretly, he thought that no more prophecies might be a good thing. His to-do list was already pretty full. Bummer, indeed, Paul sighed. <sighs> Zeus was already angry with me for appointing that new girl Rachel Dare as my oracle. Zeus seems to think I hastened the war with Gaia by doing so, since Rachel issued the prophecy of seven as soon as I blessed her. But prophecy doesn't work that way. Father just needed someone to blame, so of course he picked the handsomeness, most talented, hopelessly awesome god. Artemis made a gagging gesture. Oh, stop it, sister, Apollo said. You're in trouble, too. Only because I stayed in touch with my hunters against Zeus's wishes. Artemis said, but I can always charm father into forgiving me. He's never been able to stay mad at me. It's you I'm worried about. I'm worried about me too! Apollo agreed. We have to do something. We can't kill Octavian. Hmm, perhaps we should kill these demigods. Whoa there, music man! Leo resisted the urge to hide behind Frank and yell, Take the big Canadian dude! We're on your side, remember? Why would you kill us? It might make me feel better. Paul said. I have to do something. Or... Leo said quickly. You could help us. See, we've got this plan. He told them how Hera had, dire Hera had directed them to Delos, and how Nico and Nike had described the ingredients for the physician's cure. The physician's cure? Apollo stood and smashed his ukulele on the stones. That's your plan? Leo raised his hands. Hey, um, I, usually I'm all for smashing ukuleles, but... I cannot help you, Apollo cried. If I told you the secret of the physician's cure, Zeus would never forgive me. You're already in trouble, Leo pointed out. How could it get worse? Apollo glared at him. If you knew what my father is capable of, mortal, you would not ask. It would be simpler if I just smote you all. That might please Zeus. Brother, Artemis said. The twins locked eyes and had a silent argument. Apparently Artemis won. Apollo heaved a sigh and kicked his broken ukulele across the stage. Artemis rose. Hazel of Esque, Frank sang. Come with me. There are things you should know about the Twelfth Legion. As for you, Leo Valdez. The goddess turned those cold, silver eyes on him. Apollo will hear you out. See if you can strike a deal. My brother always likes a good bargain. Frank and Hazel both glanced at him like, Please don't die. Then they followed Artemis up the steps of the amphitheater and up the crest of the hill. Well, Leo Valdez, Apollo folded his arms. His eyes gold glowed with golden light. Let us bargain, then. What can you offer that would convince me to help you rather than kill you? 
And that's the end of chapter 33. What a fascinating chapter. I think that it was pretty... I would say this chapter is pretty consistent in terms of just the plot-wise. I think this chapter was one of those where it's just there for the sake of the plot and just not much outside of that. But there were also some key details that also made it more than just advancing the plot. Like in the beginning, when they mentioned how all of the demigods had this look of happiness on their face. But not the kind of happiness that you would have after a victory or just getting to relax, but more of a look of happiness where you're forced to put everything you have together, which is what exactly what the book said, and having to put up a face in order to convince not just others, but yourself that you're doing okay. And I feel like that this mentality is something that's just so common among every demigod. Why? Because they're constantly going on these quests and fighting against monsters and not knowing whether they're going to live the next day. And in spite of all of that, they all need to put a face of laughter and smiles to make it look like not just to others that they're fine, but to convince themselves that there's nothing wrong gonna ha- that, that's going to happen. They're going to live to see the next day. And that's that. And I feel like that that's a very that's yet another facet, another aspect of demigods that is such is really fascinating to see because when you see how some of these demigods act, it's understandable at the end of the day. Because the conditions that they have to go through, the days that they live by, knowing whether they're going to survive the next day, all of these playing at the back of their head, how much can really a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old really take? How long until they they can't take it anymore? And just, who knows what they do next? I think that sometimes this book not just shows us what the plot is or what a quest is, but also shows us the mentality of these demigods and how they have to go through such gruesome and tiring circumstances just so that they can see that live the next day. Now, when it comes to blaming who's at fault, is it, re- is it the gods? Or is it someone else at hand? Is it the monsters? There's so many things that happen at play that it's really interesting to see what exactly happens with these demigods and how they have to live day by day going through a continuous cycle of fear and anxiety. I think that this was definitely yet another fascinating chapter. After the break, we will continue with chapter 34, and then we will move on to the Q&A session. So, see you after the break. And we're back from the break, and now we're going to read chapter 34, Leo. A bargain. Leo's fingers twitched. Yeah, absolutely. His hands went to work before his mind knew what he was doing. He started pulling things out of the pockets out of his magic tool belt. Copper wires, some bolts, a brass funnel. For months, he'd been stashing away bits and pieces of machinery because he never knew what he might need. And the longer he used the belt, the more intuitive it became. He'd reach in, and the right items would simply appear. So the thing is, Leo said at his, as his hands twisted wire, Zeus is already PO'd at you, right? If you help us defeat Gaia, you could make it up to him. 
Apollo wrinkled his nose. I suppose that's possible, but it would be easier to smite you. What kind of ballad would that make? Leo's hands worked furiously, attaching levers, fastening the metal funnel to an old gear shaft. You're the god of music, right? Wouldn't you listen to a song called Apollo Smites a Runty Little Demigod? I wouldn't. But Apollo defeats the Earth Mother and saves the frickin' universe? That sounds like a Billboard chart topper. Apollo gazed into the area as if envisioning his name on a marquee. What do you want exactly, and what do I get out of it? First thing I need, advice. Leo strung some wires across the mouth of the funnel. I want to know if a plan of mine will work. Leo explained what he had in mind. He'd been chewing on the idea for days, ever since Jason came back from the bottom of the sea and Leo started talking with Nike. A primordial god had been defeated once before, Kimapalia had told Jason. You know of whom I speak. Leo's conversations with Nike had helped him fine-tune the plan, but he still wanted a second opinion from another god, because once Leo committed himself, there'd be no going back. He half-hoped Apollo would laugh and tell him to forget it. Instead, the god nodded thoughtfully. I will give you this advice for free. You might be able to defeat Guy in the way you describe, similar to the way Aranos was defeated eons ago. However, my, any mortal close by would utterly... Apollo's voice faltered. What is that you've made? Leo looked down at the contraption in his hands. Layers of copper wires like multiple, multiple sets of guitar strings crisscrossed inside the funnel. Rows of striking pins were controlled by levers on the outside of the cone, which was swicked, fixed to a square metal base with a bunch of crank handles. Oh... This? Leo's mind raced furiously. The thing looked like a music box fused with an old-fashioned phonograph. But what was it? A bargaining chip. Artemis had told him to make a deal with Apollo. Leo remembered a story the kids in Cabin 11 used to brag about. How their father Hermes had avoided punishment for stealing Apollo's sacred crows, cows. When Hermes got caught, he made a musical instrument, the first lyre, and traded it to Apollo, who immediately forgave him. A few days ago, Piper mentioned seeing the cave on Pylos where Hermes hid those cows. That must have triggered Leo's subconscious. Without even meaning to, he'd built a musical instrument, which kind of surprised him since he knew nothing about music. Um, well, Leo said, this is quite simply the most amazing instrument ever. How does it work? As a god. Good question, Leo thought. He turned the crank handles, hoping the thing wouldn't explode in his face. A few clear tones rang out, metallic yet warm. Leo manipulated the levers and gears. He recognized the song that sprang forth. The same wistful melody Calypso sang for him on Ogigia about homesickness and longing. But through the strings of the brass cone, the tune sounded even sadder, like a machine with a broken heart, the way Festus might sound if he could sing. Leo forgot Apollo was there. He played the song all the way through. When he was done, his eyes stung. He could almost smell the fresh-baked bread from Calypso's kitchen. He could taste the only kiss she'd ever given him. Apollo stared in awe at the instrument. I must have it. What is it called? What do you want for it? Leo had a sudden instinct to hide the instrument and keep it for himself, but he swallowed his melancholy. He had a task to complete. Calypso. Calypso needed him to succeed. This is the Valdezinator, of course. He puffed out his chest. It works by um, translating your feelings into music as you manipulate the gears. It's really meant for me, a child of Hephaestus, to use, though. I don't know if you could. I am the god of music, Apollo cried. I can certainly master the Valdezinator. I must. It is my duty. So let's wheel and deal, music man. 
Leo said. I give you this, you give me the physician's cure. Oh, Apollo bit his godly lip. Well, I, I don't actually have the physician's cure. Well, I thought you were the god of medicine. Yes, but I'm the god of many things. Poetry, music, the Delphic Oracle. He broke into a sob and covered his mouth with his fist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm fine, I'm fine. As I was saying, I have many spheres of influence, and of course, I have the whole sun god gig which I inherited from Helios. The point is, I'm rather like a general practitioner. For the physician's cure, you would need to see a specialist. The only one who has ever successfully cured death, my son, As Asclepius, the god of healers. Leo's heart sank into his socks. The last thing they needed was another quest to find another god who probably demand his own commemorative t-shirt or valdezinator. That's a shame, Apollo. I was hoping we could make a deal. Leo turned the level of le levers on his valdezinator, coaxing out an even sadder tune. Stop! Apollo wailed. It's too beautiful. I'll give you directions to Asclepius. He's really close. How do we know he'll help us? We've only got two days until Gaia wakes. He'll help, Apollo promised. My son is very helpful. Just plead with him in my name. You'll find him at his old, at his old temple in Epidaurus. What's the catch? Uh, well, nothing. Except, of course, he's guarded. Guarded by what? I don't know. Apollo spread his hands helplessly. I only know Zeus is keeping Asclepius under guard so he doesn't go running around the world resurrecting people. The first time Asclepius raised the dead, well, he caused quite an uproar. It's a long story, but I'm sure you can convince him to help. This isn't sounding like much of a deal, Leo said. What about the last ingredient, the curse of Delos? What is it? Apollo eyed the Valdezinator greedily. Leo worried the god just might take it. And how could Leo stop him? Blasting the sun god with fire probably wouldn't do much good. I can give the last ingredient to you, Apollo said. Then you'll have everything you need for Asclepius to brew the potion. Leo played another ver verse. I don't know, trading this beautiful Valdezinator for some Delos curse? It's not actually a curse! Look! Apollo sprinted to the nearest patch of wildflowers and picked a yellow one from a crack between the stones. This is the curse of Delos. Leo stared at it. A cursed daisy? Apollo sighed in exasperation. That's just a nickname. When my mother, Leto, was ready to give birth to Artemis and, and me, Hera was angry because Zeus had cheated on her again. She went around to every single landmass on Earth. She made the nature spirits in each place promise to turn my mother away so she couldn't give birth anywhere. Sounds like something Hera would do. I know, right? Anyway... Hera exacted, pro exacted promises from every land that was rooted on the earth, but not from Delos, because back then, Delos was a floating island. The nature spirits of Delos welcomed my mother. She gave birth to my sister and me, and the island was so happy to be our new sacred home, it covered itself in its, these little yellow flowers. The flowers are a blessing, because we're awesome. They also symbolize a curse, because once we were born, born Delos got rooted in place and wasn't able to, run, to drift around the sea anymore. That's why yellow daisies are called the curse of Delos. So, I could have just picked a daisy myself and walked away. No! No. Not for the potion you have in mind. The flower would have to be picked by either my sister or me. So what do you say, demigod? Directions to Asclepius and your magic last magical ingredient in exchange for that new musical instrument. Do we have a deal? Leo hated to give away a perfectly good Valdezinator for a wildflower, but he saw no other choice. You drive a hard bargain, music man. They made the trade. Excellent! Apollo turned the levers of the Valdezinator, which made a sound like a car engine on a cold morning. 
Hmm. Perhaps it'll take some practice, but I'll get it. Now let us find your friends. The sooner you leave, the better. Hazel and Frank waited at the Delos docks. Artemis was nowhere in sight. When Leo turned to tell Apollo goodbye, the god was gone too. Man, Leo muttered. He was really anxious to practice his Valdesinator. His what? Hazel asked. Leo told him about his new hobby as a genius inventor of musical funnels. Frank scratched his head. And in exchange, you got a daisy? It's the final ingredient to cure death, Zang. It's a super daisy. How about you guys? Learn anything from Artemis? Unfortunately, yes. Hazel gazed across the water where the Argo II bobbed at anchor. Artemis knows a lot about missile weapons. She told us Octavian has ordered some surprises for Camp Half-Blood. He's used most of the Legion's treasure to purchase Cyclops-built onagers. Oh no, not onagers, Leo said. Also, what's an onager? Frank scowled. You build machines. How can you not know what an onager is? It's just the biggest, baddest catapult ever used by the Roman army. Fine, Leo said. But onager's a stupid name. They're going to just call them Valdezapults. Hazel rolled her eyes. Leo, this is serious. If Artemis is right, six of these machines will be rolling into Long Island tomorrow night. That's what Octavian has been waiting for. At dawn on August 1st, he'll have enough fire to completely destroy Camp Half-Blood without a single Roman casualty. He'll think that'll make him a hero. Frank muttered a Latin curse. Except he's also summoned so many monstrous allies that the Legion is completely surrounded by wild centaurs, tribes of dog-headed Sinophili, and who knows what else. As soon as the Legion destroys Camp Half-Blood, the monsters will turn on Octavian and destroy the Legion. And then Gaia rises, Leo said. Bad stuff happens. In his head, gears turned as the new information clicked in place. All right. This just makes my plan even more important. Once we get this physician's cure, I'm going to need your help, both of you. Frank glanced nervously at the cursed yellow daisy. What kind of help? Leo told him his plan. The more he talked, the more shocked they looked. But when he was done, neither of them told him he was crazy. A tear glistened on Hazel's cheek. It has to be this way, Leo said. Nike confirmed it. Apollo confirmed it. The others would never accept it, but you guys... You're Romans. That's why I wanted you to come to deal us with me. You get the whole sacrifice thing. Doing your duty, jumping on your sword. Frank sniffled. Uh, I think you mean falling on your sword. Whatever, Leo said. You know this has to be the answer. Leo. Frank choked up. Leo himself wanted to cry like a Valdezinator, but he kept his cool. Hey, big guy. I'm counting on you. Remember you told me about that conversation with Mars? Your dad said you'd have to step up, right? You'd have to make the call nobody else was willing to make. The war would go sideways, Frank remembered, but still. And Hazel, Leo said. Crazy Miss Magic East Hazel, you gotta cover for me. You're the only one who can. My great-granddad Sammy saw how special you are. He blessed me when I was a baby because I think somehow he knew you were going to come back and help us, help me. Our whole lives, mi amiga, they've been leading up to this. Oh, Leo. She really did burst into tears then. She grabbed him and hugged him, which was sweet until Frank started crying too and wrapped them both in his arms. That got a little weird. Okay, well, Leo gently extricated himself. So we're in agreement? I hate this plan, Frank said. I despise it, Hazel said. Think how I feel, Leo said. But you know it's our best shot. Neither of them argued. Leo kind of wished they had. Let's be- get back to the ship, he said. We have a healer god to find. And that's the end of chapter 34. Wow. What another yet great chapter. I mean, this is, I think that, 
is really that curiosity is also peeking on me on what exactly this master plan is and why exactly it made not just Hazel and Frank but also Apollo a little teary-eyed. I mean, what what is it? What is it in this plan that is making everyone feel just get so sad? Of course, it's a sacrifice. Is it a sacrifice of a demigod? Is it a sacrifice of something else? Is it a sacrifice in general? Or is it something else? We'll have to find out when we read next week on chapters 35 to 36. And now we will be moving on to the Q&A session and shout-out session. A couple of disclaimers before we go into this session. Um, number one. Uh, if I skip, if I miss your question or your shout out, do please let me know and I'll try my best to get you in the next episode. And number two is sometimes I will skip questions because at the moment they are uncomfortable for me to answer. Hopefully in the future I'll be able to answer them, but that does not mean that any of, none of you should stop from asking those questions. Keep being curious and keep asking questions and I'll try my best to answer whichever ones I can. Um, before we go into the, uh, before we go into, uh, the shout outs and the questions, there's another announcement that I wish to make. Um, I have been uh, seeing a lot of questions regarding, uh, when am I going to read the future books? And if I'm going to be honest, I think that I'm not sure where the future of this podcast will be. Now, the reason why I say this is because... Over the past few months, it has been, especially with my hiatus, um, that really, uh, the situation has gone a lot better. There's nothing to worry about. However, there has been a lot of times where I've been getting more and more busy. And because of that, sometimes I am barely scratching by because I want to give the quality episodes that all of you deserve. But in order to give those quality episodes, I also think that there should be time for me to give those episodes out, which is why I'm not sure whether I will be reading Magnus Chase or Trials of Apollo or even the new books. I'm not sure if there will be any more books that I'll be reading after this final book, which will be the end of this series of the Heroes of Olympus. But that doesn't mean that I won't be coming back with a different podcast. That doesn't mean that I'll be that I won't be coming back with a new series, maybe a new TV show, just maybe something new. And if that happens, I'll make sure to let all of you know because the support you all have given me over the years has been phenomenal and it is the you are you all are the reason why I keep going and making this podcast every day these episodes every day but in order to give you those quality episodes I need to be able to not have the to have the time and I'm not sure if I will be able to have that time so yes stay tuned for more episodes but in terms of reading future books that is still to be determined that's all I wanted to say in terms of that. Now let's move on to the shoutouts. For our first shoutout, we have Estrid. Next one is the Galaxy Man 55512, Piper Wright, Quinn Freeman, and Charlie Tuber. Next, now we're moving on to the QA sessions. Uh, first one is favorite ship and Percy Jackson. I would easily say it's gotta be Annabeth and Percy. I mean, I don't think you see every day where 
someone is willing to fall into the depths of Tartarus, the pits of Tartarus, just to be with the one they love. Uh, I don't think anybody, anything has beat that yet. So for me, they're at number one. The next one is, if you could only have six demigods in the group, which ones would you pick? Ooh, that's a very interesting one. Hmm. I would have to say... Hmm. If I'm going to be honest, I would probably put Piper, Frank... Piper, Frank, Leo, Hazel. Um, let's see. The other two would probably be... Maybe Nico and Reyna. Now, the reason why I say this is because... I'm not sure. I really want. I feel like the dynamics, right, between in 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 this prophecy, has been one where in in this specific in this specific prophecy has been one where it's been this tension between Greeks and Romans. So if we have a dynamic where it's just Romans, I mean, we've seen with Percy Jackson and the Olympians how the Greeks function when they have a quest, but we haven't really seen what happens when the Romans have a quest. I mean, we've always seen what happens with Camp Half-Blood, and now we're at Camp Half-Blood and Camp Jupiter. But what about just Camp Jupiter in of itself? So I would probably want to put them on a quest and see how that goes. Um, next question is, which characters have you liked more recently? I wouldn't say more recently. I, I have liked, but getting to know more characters... Well, I guess you could say I liked them more recently, but... Getting to know them played a really big part, and I would say that's Nico and Reyna easily. I mean, just getting to see their perspectives for the first time and getting to see their backstories, it really allowed me to understand them a lot more than before, and it allowed me to see from where, what places they came from. We did see multiple backstories about Nico, but not from his perspective. His thoughts, his feelings, his emotions were not really explored until a couple of chapters recently. So yeah, I think definitely Reyna and Nico top that list. Um, next question is, a corny joke that would come from Leo. Huh. It would either be a joke about machines breaking down or maybe something about fire because he, you know, he has the ability to control fire. Something about that. I'd have to put it, I'd have to think about that though. The next question is, if you'd have to make one of the seven die other than Leo... Or Jason, who would it be? I wouldn't want anybody to die in the first place. But maybe either Hazel or Nico? Now, the reason why I say this is because, obviously, their father is Hades. So maybe they could do something. Maybe they could talk to their father. And I know their father loves both of them very dearly. So it would have to really just see whether his fa- their father was would be willing to make an exception in the first place. I mean, we've seen it happen with Hazel once. Pretty sure his fa- her father could make it happen a second time. Uh, next question is, 1 to 10, how much do you love the Percy Jackson series? 10, 
easily. Next question is, if you start a new podcast, will you tell us what it is? Of course. Have you heard of the Michael Vay series? I haven't, but I'll look into that. Next question is, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Next question is, if you had to choose one book for the rest of your life, what book would you choose? I would probably choose Coraline. Um, it's this really fascinating book. And I just, it really, I enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed it the first time. Uh, I just saw the concept and everything, and it was just amazing. So yes, probably Coraline. Uh, next question is, favorite cat breed? Now, that's the funny thing. Um, I don't know much about cats, so I couldn't really tell you much on that. Um, but I do like the big and fluffy ones, so if that counts for anything. Uh, next question is, have you read or watched the series of Unfortunate Events? I have watched the series. Um, one of my favorite series. Um, it was very, it was very fun to watch. Uh, next question is: Do you like dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Mm, I like both, but I'm more of a milk chocolate person. Next question is: Why do you think they named the first lunar missions Apollo missions? That's a good question. I would probably assume it's because Apollo is um, associated with the sun and the fact that he's. He usually rides a chariot as part of his logo or his symbol or just his overall look. So maybe the Apollo mission, just like how Apollo uses his chariot to travel, um, to travel around the sun, to the sun, near the sun. Maybe they wanted the same kind of thing for the Apollo mission rockets. So hence the name. Next question is, do you think Nico will achieve Elysium? Now, it's a really fascinating thing because when it comes to Children of Hades, there's a, it's, it, you, you, you'd have to see what exactly happens because do they go to Elysium? Do they get a second chance at living? What exactly happens? Because it's already happened with Hazel before. So what happens? It's very, it's very interesting to see whether this happens, with the, whether Hazel's case happens with every child of... Hades, or whether it's different for each single one. So I'm not sure about whether Nico will actually achieve Elysium. Maybe he'll never. Maybe he'll be immortal. We'll have to see. Next question is, favorite anime? I don't think I have one. Uh, next question is, did you ever see the friendship between Reyna and Nico coming? Not in a million miles. But seeing them interact with each other, it makes me happy for both of them. I feel like this might be one of the first few times that they actually found someone that they can confide in and that they actually have a true friend for. So yes, did not expect it, but happy for it. Uh, next question is, why doesn't Percy have a demigod sister? Now that's fascinating. There probably, he probably does. Most likely he will. Because it's just we haven't been introduced to her yet. She's probably on the other side of the world, maybe fighting her own battles with her own monsters. But, um, yeah. Most likely, maybe we'll get introduced to her sometime in the book, or maybe not. We'll have to see. Next question is, do you play any video games made by Epic Games? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't think so. 
And yes, that concludes the Q&A and shout-out session. I hope you guys enjoyed that just as much as I did. Next week, we will continue this by reading chapters 35 to 36. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.